Before we open God's word, let's turn to him in prayer. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who was, who is, and, and who will be, and who will come. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of that plan of salvation. And we thank you just for making it such a personal plan and a relationship that we can have to you through the Son. We, we praise you for that and just pray for the Holy Spirit as a part of that triune God as well to instill in our hearts this morning a message. We pray that you would allow us to tune into that Spirit, Lord God, and pray that you would just give us the ability to tune out, Lord God, all of those things and distractions um, that are in our minds and help us to have a focus on the Spirit's leading this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give the, the similar caveat. Um, Brother Eric, came, when he came to our church, and um, the blessing of, of not attending a church and, and I guess in attempting to preach from that church is um, it's a clean slate. I don't know many of your history, many of your backgrounds beyond personal relationships of experience, but it's still a comfort to know that it's the same spirit that dwells within us and that same spirit that gives us an insight to his word. And I pray that we'll, we'll turn to that this morning in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 We'll read the first 21 verses of John chapter 14. Um, it's one of the six. It contains one of the six I am's that um, Christ provided in, uh, in, in verse 6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll read the first 21 verses of that chapter. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And, after I, after, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there may ye be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how thou can know the way. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and he hath not known him, and known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak, not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he also do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye 
know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall also, ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth, me, keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Amen. Let's all bow before the Lord in prayer. A loving Father in heaven, your word tells us, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, that you are the God of all comfort and that he wanted to comfort them as they are comforted by others and by God himself. And Lord, we come before thee with this chapter that we have read of your Holy Spirit being the comforter, the strengthener, the paraclete, the one that goes alongside of us, the one who guides us into all truth, the one who remind us whatever Jesus spoke to us in his word. Lord, we come before thy throne of grace this morning to thank thee for yet another day that we could praise thee, to worship thee, to confess our need for thee, for without thee we are but nothing. Father in heaven, we're thankful that we could come even now after this long endemic, pandemic, that we can freely gather and that we could be together in your house of prayer. We pray, Lord, we will never take this for granted. But every time the doors are open that we would be here to worship you, to glorify you, to praise you. Father in heaven, we pray, that especially this day, that as your word goes forth, it would go out in its power, in its simplicity, in its truth, and that all of us may be fed from off thy table, which is so rich, your word. We pray especially for those that do not know thee yet as Lord and Saviour. We pray that you would touch their hearts, that it would land, the seed would land in good ground and bring forth much fruit to your honour and glory. And that souls may be saved and that we would not be ashamed of your word, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth. Father, we pray you'd give grace to our dear brother Eric as he would preach your word. And that you'd give him wisdom and understanding to be able to articulate it. And that he would rely on your Holy Spirit's leading and guiding Father, as we pray for those that are here, we pray for those that are not. They are on hospital beds, as we have heard this morning. We pray for Sister Sophie as she has suffered this tragic setback in her life. We pray, if it be your will, that you'd give her healing, that you'd give her strengthening, that you would bring her to, that she could once more see and recognize her husband. Brother Eddie, and that Brother Eddie can also be comforted and encouraged. Father, we pray that you would be with Brother Eddie also in his loneliness now, that you would encourage him and strengthen him and provide his every need. 
and that we would be used as your children, as your members of the same body, to do the same, to pro provide the needs that he needs in this very time of grief for him. We pray, Lord, for the ability for her son to come from Vancouver to visit her, that there would be ways that that, that could happen, that the government would have compassion on, on this, but we know how strict and austere the government has been in this issue. We pray that your will be done. Father, we pray for the many others that are suffering, many of our loved ones who for such a long time have suffered chronic pain and illness and disease. We especially pray for our dear sister Olga Ordog. Be her comfort, lift her up in your mighty yet gentle hands and be her comfort and strength and healer. We pray for the many that we pray for every <clears throat> Thursday. Pray for Sister Nancy as she and her dear husband, Greg, brother Greg, are planning to go to visit her sister, Darlene, who seems are also, who, which seems, who seems is also on her last leg of the journey. We pray that you would, if it be possible, that in your will, that give her healing. But if it's not, that your comfort may be about her and also about the family, especially Sister Nancy, who has constantly placed her on the prayer request list. We pray you'd be gracious to her. Oh Lord, we, we pray for the sake also of those that used to be members in Toronto, <coughs> Sister Nancy's um, dad, who used to live and work on the Geisberger farm, Brother Frank, together with Brother Eric's grandfather. They were the first pioneers here in Toronto, and we pray that you'd be merciful and gracious unto them and that you would be the, the, the greatest physician and the healer of those that call upon your name. Be with us now, Father, as we would look into your word, speak to our hearts, and bless us all, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter 14 is really a, a transition chapter in Christ's life where it starts at the, the scene of his last really 24 hours on this earth. And it's a very deep and intimate time. Uh, and John gives a lot of insight that some of the other gospels are not able to share the same perspective that Christ has at this time. And it's a time a very deep communion that he has with his disciples where he's washing their feet, he's having the Last Supper, and you get this additional insight of John that's provided, and the Gospels, you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first three other synoptic Gospels, and it's very parallel. You can see a lot of the stories depicted in, in certain ways, and, and they mirror each other in the first three Gospels, um, but John, um, it's a little bit different. It's not a synoptic gospel. You know, there's certain areas, certain time span that John gives that the rest of the gospels don't provide. Um, there's certain ways in which he depicts Jesus' ministry in Judea um, and certain theological matters that are very specific to John. And one of those that, as the Lord has provided a way for me to go through those seven I am's, um, really gives an insight to the deity of Christ of Christ being God and God in the flesh. And 
when, when people would ask me that, even as, as a young convert, do you believe in the Trinity? The natural answer is just yes. And, and until you have the opportunity to have the blessing to really understand what does that mean, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, John, especially when you go through the I Ams, really gives a, a revelation of that quite a bit further. And these chapters, even 14, 15, 16, a lot of the material in this you can't even find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. It's similar to the first three chapters of John. There's a lot of theological perspective that John provides insight to that you can't find in the other Gospels. And so with the Lord's help, we'll go through this chapter. And as mentioned, it is a chapter meant for comfort. It's a chapter meant for healing, a chapter meant for growing closer to God and him giving us comfort through that trinity, through the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And that concept of, of being in trouble, of being in stress and being in anxiety um, was something that Christ knew he would be experiencing going forward. He knew he was going to have a very tough time and challenge in battling his flesh. And, and even the concept in John covers it of it was his life. He had full control over it. It wasn't just a God saying, Jesus, go give your life. And Jesus, and Jesus just, yes, God. It was that relationship for sure. But he says it was mine to give. And he freely gave it for us. And this concept of believing and what it starts off this chapter says, um, believe in God. And that term believe is another term for trust. And, and Christ is pleading to his disciples, trust, trust in God. Believe in God. And, and trust in what I'm telling you. And believe in what I'm telling you of this relationship of the Trinity. And again, it's covered in, in the verses 11 and 12. He goes into the term again. He says, believe me, trust in me. I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. So trust, believe me that this is true. If you don't see it, at least go through what I've done on this earth and look at those miracles and believe it, trust in it. And then in verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he also do. The greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And again, it's that the God of old, believe on that. Believe on what was there in the past. Believe on the God of Abraham, that I am the same. I am the Father, and the Father is in me. And if they couldn't comprehend that, he said, just at least look to what has happened. Look at these miracles of the past three years. If you can't believe my words, look at my actions and see the miracles that God has performed through me and in me. And if that wasn't enough, he said, watch what's going to happen. Through the Holy Spirit, there's going to be even more of these miracles and more of these things that will occur and believe and trust in those. And then in verse 2, it goes on for the comfort. And it speaks of, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And so we have this eternal concept of heaven being introduced again here. By, by Christ, um, and it's, you think of that physical place when he talks of the word mansions, and you think of heaven being something in the future. And he's attempting to give them comfort in that, to think of something beyond this earth. I'm preparing you for that, for the eternal. But as you read on, and especially read this full chapter, there's much more to heaven than just the future concept of it. He speaks of it as being a present time and a way that through the Holy Spirit you can experience components of heaven. In verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may ye be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way 
you know. And it's really that, that hope, that firm confidence that Christ is saying, I'm going, but you're going to know the way to heaven. You're going to have something to guide you to heaven. There's going to be something, some connection on this earth that's going to connect me back to you um, for the eternal. And it's not just going to be a physical place. You, where I am, you may also be. That There's that connection. You will be there, but I'm here now, right? Um, and that spiritual connection is a comforter, which he speaks of. And it connects us to the eternal, connects us to those mansions. And right away, you have one of the disciples that, that chimes in in verse 5. And Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Thomas, we, we often know of as then we connect to that term of being doubtful and doubting Thomas. And he just throws out this statement that is so naive and, and so almost childish. Christ is going through this very deep personal experience and Christ doesn't rebuttal him and, and, and mock him in the statement, but he provides such a profound insight back to Thomas. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this statement, the sixth I am, John provides in his writing. And it goes back, it starts in John chapter 6. And, and with the Lord's help, I want to cover just a few of these I am's, just so you have an understanding of how this sixth I am connects with the other I am's in the Gospel of John, and, and the connection that Christ had through the Old Testament, through the Exodus, and through even the prophets of old to now this time when Christ was on this earth. And those seven I am's are, I am the bread of life, John chapter six. I am the light of the world, John chapter eight. I am the door of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, which you just read in John chapter 14. And the last one is in John chapter 15. I am the true vine. And even if you go back to Exodus, and I'm sure some of you are going through uh, the foundation Bible study, and you're going through the Exodus, and you're getting a little insight to God and in the way he supported the Israelites through that exodus and even before when Moses first interacted with God in that burning bush and I'm sure you remember that Sunday school story with the burning bush and and the interaction that Moses had with God at that time it's really that's the first time that God used that term I am and he provided that term I am to Moses to share with the Israelites and it's in Exodus chapter 3 and it occurred on the Mount Sinai when Moses was there and he saw the burning bush and God provided a plan, an escape for the Israelites, a way in which they could come out of Egypt and have the exodus occur. And when he's provided this profound plan and direction, Moses looks for affirmation. How, how will the people believe me? You know, I'm, I'm just Moses. I'm, I'm I've been in the wilderness. He actually was fleeing because he actually murdered someone. So he's, he's, he's a vagabond at this time. And he asked God, how am I going to get your people to follow me? Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, 
the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generation. So that term, I am, before that term even, they had often referred to God as Elohim, or God the Almighty. And it was um, much more of a, of a grand, almighty God. But when you think of I am, and the way it was presented in Exodus 3, it's, it's more translated into as he is the one who is and who will be. It's the Alpha and the Omega. The God who was from the beginning and the God who will be forever. And it isn't a tied, we, we like connecting things in time, but God is not bound to time. He's just saying God is. That's what I am refers to. He just is. And eventually that term I am became more personal with Yahweh. And Yahweh was the way that the Israelites connected with their God as the I am. And to put it into perspective that Yahweh or I am appears almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament as a connection that God had with his children as being I am. And that personal term um, really was special to the Israelites. They held that term very deep and, and near to God because it was a way that they knew that he would deliver them and was able to deliver them through the Exodus. So when Christ used that term, I am, especially in the first few times he said it and it was recorded in John, it was directed towards the Pharisees. And he spoke with others around him and others heard him, but it was specifically confirming his deity as being God. And it really fired up the Pharisees. How can someone say I am when they knew who I am was? That was reserved for God. You can't just come and say, I am, because it was very personal to them. And they actually took offense when Christ said, I am. So these sections were um, contained in the Gospel of John. I'm just going to briefly speak on some of them a little bit. The first one is, I am the bread of life, which is in John chapter 6. And, and Jesus performs this great miracle. He has the bread and the fish in John chapter 6, and he is able to feed the multitude with only a small amount, bread and fish. And the people are very much intrigued by this, and they want some you know, further insight into this miracle, but really, who is this person who can do this? How can someone perform such a miracle at that present time? Then Jesus said unto them in John chapter 6, verses 32, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. He was taking that physical miracle of bread and fish and now conveying who he was in his deity. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And then again, the Jewish people murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down to heaven. And then Jesus responds in verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which will give for the life of the world. He was taking a concept that was planned and God knew of it from the beginning of time and he was connecting it back to something that they very much cherished, uh, 
and even Passover with the leavened bread and everything, they knew how special bread was to them. And he was saying, I'm much higher than that bread. I'm going to give you eternal bread. I'm going to give you bread when you eat of me and, and, and you'll have the eternal component of it. And having that ability to live forever. And that was so hard for them to comprehend. The Pharisees just got more angry with them. And if you read on that same chapter, they wanted to destroy Christ at that time. But it also speaks of the Gentiles that were listening to that same story. And the Gentiles believed. And the Gentiles wanted more of this bread. And then the second section when he talks of the I am, he refers to in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And it starts off that chapter of chapter 8, it starts off with the woman, the adulterous woman who committed adultery and she was caught in the very act of adultery. It wasn't like a story. Someone saw her do it. Someone, the husband was angry and said, I heard someone say you, did a, you committed adultery. Someone actually caught her sleeping with someone else's husband. And the Pharisees knew that according to the books of Moses, she was called to be killed. And they looked at Jesus and they asked him and they said, what do you say? How should we handle this situation? And they tried putting him on the spot. In John chapter 8, verse 7, he said, Let him without sin cast the first stone. And the Pharisees right away backed away. They put down their stones. They couldn't rebuttal, again, a profound statement provided by Christ. And then he follows up this statement and he speaks again to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 12. And he says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And again, similar to bread, it's connecting back to the Exodus. When they knew of light... And when this passage took place, they thought of that pillar of fire that guided them through the Exodus. And they knew how special that light was to lead them out of the Exodus. And even when this statement occurred, when Christ made the statement saying that I am the light of the world, if you read in John chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Now the Jewish feast of tabernacles was at hand. So this was a very special event when he was saying this, and he was saying it in the tabernacle. He was teaching in the tabernacle, which is covered in John chapter 8, verse 20. It speaks of where he was saying the statement. But why it was so special when you think of the feast of tabernacle, it was again thinking back to the Exodus. And the feast of tabernacle, and still celebrated now in Jewish customs, is when they would think back of the time when they were freed from Egypt. And the Feast of the Tabernacles is actually a very special time when they celebrate and rejoice the protection that God provided with that light, that pillar of light that was ahead of them in the dark. And it was so special to them and a temple that was in the middle of Israel at that time during that festival and that festivity was filled with candles. And it was filled with candles and at nighttime it would light up almost the whole region around it. And they would come and celebrate that light, that pillar of light. And as this was occurring, this event was occurring, Christ was saying, I am the light. Not this temple filled with candles. It's me. I am the light of the world. And again, this bold statement not only did they understand the pillar of the light, but he was fulfilling a prophecy. Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 8. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, 
to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sat in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give another, neither my praise to grave an image. A light unto the Gentiles. That's who Christ was. He came for us, not just for the Israelites as well. The third and fourth area where he covers the I am is in John chapter 10, when he says, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. Again, this one was speaking to the Pharisees and conversing with them, interacting with the Pharisees in John chapter 10. And being a shepherd and taking care of sheep was again a strong connection to the Israelites. They knew David, King David was a shepherd. They knew the value of a shepherd and how much that occupation meant to them. It was very special, similar to the bread, similar to the light. It was something deep and personal to them, a shepherd. John chapter 10, verses seven through 11. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for a sheep. And again, it was a messianic prophecy that he was fulfilling. It wasn't just a statement that he was making. He was fulfilling prophecy by making this claim as being the good shepherd. And it's covered in Ezekiel 37. Isaiah talks about Christ and Ezekiel talks about Christ. Ezekiel chapter 37, if you go from verse 24, to 48. And David, again a shepherd, my servant, shall be king over them. And keep in mind when, when Ezekiel was writing, this was around 400 years after David had passed away. So David is, 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 was a king about 400 years prior to that time. And David, my servant, shall be a king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. And who is that one shepherd? It has to be Christ. Who else, would, who else would, would be able to have that title of the one true shepherd? They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever." Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, and my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And again, Christ was conveying and fulfilling that prophecy, saying, I will be in the midst of you forevermore, and I will be that shepherd, and I will be the tabernacle that will be within you, within them, it speaks of that tabernacle. The last one before this passage on the I am's, I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. And this one is when Lazarus has passed away. And Martha and Jesus are having this in-depth conversation in John chapter 11 about Lazarus. And Martha's frustrated. You know, Jesus is talking about these eternal items and she just wants her brother to be alive again. She's just scared and, and, and she needs comfort and she needs healing at that time. Her brother just passed away, Lazarus. 
And Jesus, the ultimate comforter, provides her that in John chapter 11, verse 23 to 26. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Again, thinking of heaven, thinking of the eternal. I don't doubt it, he's going to rise again. But then Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you'll never die? You'll be sleeping, but you'll never die. Because he came and he resurrected from the dead and he is the resurrection, we have eternal life. And we don't have to fear death. And that's the ultimate comfort to know that this life is temporal. The difficulties, the challenges, we will live forever because he has conquered death. And this, this last I am, there's one more after this, but the one that we covered today, when it speaks of in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's almost a summary of what he said in the other I am's. Because now it's not speaking to the Pharisees anymore. This is to his disciples. This is a very deep and personal I am to almost encapsulate the others where Jesus is the way. He's the one true shepherd to show us the way to the Father. He is the truth. And when you think of the word truth, it means the word. The word is truth. And the word is bread. You eat of the truth. You eat of the word of God. And he's saying, I am the truth. And the last one that he says, he says, I am the life. And really, there's no other life than the life of Jesus. There's no other eternal life. There's no other one who has conquered resurrection than Jesus. And as I mentioned, John has this amazing way to personalize not only theory of who Christ was, but make it applicable to you. And the way in which, to me, just opens the the gospel up in, in John chapter 1, the first four verses, again, summarizes who Christ was and the connection between the old and the new. In John chapter 1, the first four verses, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was a light of man. And the second part of that verse that we just read when you now have that established of the foundation of Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, there's no other way to the Father except through the Son. And that's a very divisive statement. A lot of people will tell you that there's numerous ways to the Father. God is all-loving, John 3.16, God's love the whole world, not just those who believe in Christ. That's false. God loves the whole world, but there's only one way to him, and it's through the Son, through Jesus Christ. And it's covered throughout the New Testament. Acts 4.10-12, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him that this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of your builders, which has become the head of the corner. 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. No other name. And to know that that is in us, that we have access to a God through the Son, an amazing God, a loving Father, and I'm not going to have time to cover all the rest of this chapter, but if you go into it further, you know, Philip right away, like us, and it's nice that God, uh, that I would, I would say John includes passages from people like Philip, he just, someone who's, who's lived with Christ for three years, has experienced Christ, seen all of his miracles, and he, he questions it. Show us the Father. I haven't seen it yet. I don't understand. Where's the Father? And he's looking for proof again. And often we as believers have the same challenge. We're looking for more. Where's God? Where's God when I'm struggling? Where's God when I'm challenged? Where's God when I have this disease, when I have this illness? Where's God when I'm struggling with something mentally that no one else can understand? Where is he? But when you read verses 10 all the way down to 21, it speaks of who God is. He's not just some superficial being in the sky. And we often think of it, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, a linear relationship. And, and, and that's how they exist. But when you read some of these passages and it says, I am in the Father. And then before that it says, the Father is in me. How can the Father be in Christ when the Father's above Christ? How, did that, how, how can that occur? How could God humble himself to be in Christ. And then as you read it further, verses 10 to 14, John pulls us into that relationship. It doesn't just stop at Christ. Now he brings us in. And he says that we can be a part of that relationship. Whatsoever we ask in his name, he will do for us. He will glorify us. How? It's through the Comforter. It's that beautiful Trinity now becomes within us. And the Comforter will give us strength. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will give us direction. And when you, when you think of that, when Jesus went to go prepare a place, he says, I will come back. And it isn't at the end of the world he came back. He came back through the Holy Spirit. He came back not just to say, I'll be in heaven to watch over you. I'll be in heaven to intercede for you. He actually said, I'll be within you through the Holy Spirit. And really, that's the ultimate comfort. That's the ultimate friend. That's the ultimate way is through the Son. And as he opens up this passage don't be troubled. Don't be worried. Because I'll be in you. I won't be someone just casting judgment on you. I'll be your friend. I'll be your comforter. I'll be your advocate. And even though I'm going to play, prepare a place and we have that mindset and we should be waiting for the eternal, he wants us to live out the eternal now. He wants us to know that there is a physical place, but he's come to bring it much more of a personal, spiritual relationship as well. And it's through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that now we have been grafted in. Now we have a way to access the great I Am. Amen. Brother Eric.
thank the Lord on you for um, the very detailed expository preaching on the I am's of God. Indeed, it was refreshing that we could hear the, the, the plurality of all these sayings, of all these verses, of all these teachings of Christ. May the Lord bless you for your labor of love. That is one of, uh, I guess, one of my favorite topics in the Trinity. Um, Brother Eric mentioned that the name of God, at least the way people try to pronounce it today, is Yahweh. But it was not so from the beginning. It was, there were no vowels in the Jewish um, alphabet. And the name of God in that time was so holy that the Jews feared to mispronounce it. So instead of giving it a, a name that they would mispronounce, they gave it another name where they took the vowels of the, the Jewish name for Yahweh. I think it was YHVH or something like that. And they put in vowels of Adonai, the Lord. And they called it Jehovah. You will see in the Old Testament several times the word Jehovah is, is uh, pronounced or, or written. And it was a safe way of them for, for not mispronouncing the Lord God. Why? Because God is holy. God is holy. And he wants us to worship him in reverence in fear which a lot of the people don't like to hear why should we fear God this holy awesome God he wants us to love him and he's going, he wants to love us that's true but the fear of God is this holy reverence that we need to have when approaching his throne of grace because it's that fear that leads us to salvation the beginning of understanding and wisdom. My prayer is that, especially for those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, to fear Him, to revere Him, to believe Him, and place your trust in Him to accept His salvation, His grace today, while it's still yet the day of grace. To Him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.